is this the year that people stop complaining about Kyle Pitts as we watch him and Desmond Ritter make beautiful magic together? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Serious Black, and the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen each and every day. Of course, follow in the footsteps of the everydayers. Shout out to them that subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So we are continuing our series of positional breakdowns uh, ahead of Falcons training camp, which uh, begins July 25th for the veterans, July 18th for the rookies. And we've talked about the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, of course, the fullbacks. Today we're talking about the tight ends. And so that's going to involve us talking quite a bit about Kyle Pitts on today's episode, as we often do uh, on this podcast. And, you know, sometimes when I do these breakdowns, I kind of look at them as like the story of the season versus the story of the summer, right? What are kind of the biggest storylines and narratives and expectations, all these various things with each position group. And with the tight end position, it revolves around, of course, Kyle Pitts. And the story of the summer is where we'll start, right? Because the story of the summer is can Kyle Pitts and, and Desmond Ritter make magic together? Can they build that rapport? Now, we've seen Desmond Ritter and Drake London build that rapport, that connection that they had at the end of last season. And the question is, can we get something similar between Ritter and Pitts this year? And right, you know, a big part of why Kyle Pitts had a quote unquote down year in 2022 was because of that lack of a connection between him and Marcus Mariota. And we've noted before how Kyle Pitts has was and probably will be the Falcons primary deep threat in their offense. And last year we saw a lot of big plays left on the field because of the quarterback primarily missing those deep shots, right? Kyle Pitts was targeted 14 times on 20 plus yard throws and only caught one of them with the majority of those misses being quote unquote quarterback era. And we say, Hey, you know, if Marcus Mariota would have just been average, right. And hit six of those passes. So five more than he actually hit you know, we would be probably having a very different conversation about his performance last year, Kyle Pitts's performance last year, and potentially the team, right? Five big plays doesn't seem like a big number in the scheme of, you know, a thousand plays over the course of a NFL season. But, you know, if those five plays lead to points and for a team that was in one score games for what over 75% of their games last season, you know, that is potentially very meaningful in terms of the outcome of those games. And so, as I said, we'll likely see Kyle Pitts continue to serve as the Falcons primary deep threat. Of course, we're hoping that, you know, Scotty Miller and Drake London and other players will also get involved in the vertical verticality of the game. But uh, Pitts uh, is probably their, their main option, their m most, you know, proven option in that regard. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if him and Ritter can get connected on those deep shots, because that's going to be a, potentially a big part of this offense. And that's going to be a big part of this team's ability to become more explosive 
which we've talked about a lot since the draft as one of the primary goals of this team to go from, you know, this team that they were in those final four games, which was, you know, very methodical with their ability to run the football and, and throw with some efficiency on the short and intermediate passes, but not necessarily hit those chunk yard plays, those explosive plays that can flip the field and lead two points. Now, the other thing with Kyle Pitts, it's not just the deep stuff, right? It's the routine stuff that, you know, also was a little disappointing with Kyle Pitts last season. And some of that is owed to some questions and concerns about Arthur Smith's play calling and maybe not necessarily designing an offense to fully maximize Kyle Pitts's abilities. Um, now, you know, I will push back somewhat on that. I think it's certainly fair that, you know, Arthur Smith could have done more with Kyle Pitts, but it wasn't as if he was lacking in that regard. Kyle Pitts, relative to how often the Falcons threw the ball, was the most targeted tight end in the NFL last year, right? He got the highest percentage of of passes thrown relative to his team than any other tight end in the league last year. Now, the issue was the Falcons didn't throw the ball enough, you know, like if, you know, the Chiefs are throwing the ball 40 times a game uh, versus the Falcons throwing 20 times a game, and even if Kyle Pitts is targeted on a higher percentage of those plays, then Travis Kelsey is, you know, obviously Travis Kelsey's going to um, put up numbers more so than Kyle Pitts. And so we'll see if the Falcons, if that will be an issue this season, right? And, you know, we'll have to sort of see how it plays out this summer. But particularly this summer, if Kyle Pitts and Desmond Ritter are going to build that rapport, build that connection, they have to play together, right? That's not something that you can simulate, you know, outside of the practice field and then ultimately in the games. And so far we just haven't seen those two guys play together, not only at the end of last season, but you probably even go back to the preseason. I'm sure there weren't that many throws where Desmond Ritter was throwing to Kyle Pitts in practice. There are certainly some, but we know that Marcus Mario was getting the majority of the, the reps with the ones. And of course the same goes for Kyle Pitts last year. So we didn't get, I don't think we got any connections between those in the preseason. So, you know, a couple of pro summer practices, you know, from almost a year ago is really all we have because Kyle Pitts recovering from that knee injury that caused him to, to miss the final seven games of this past season has yet to really make an appearance at OTAs at minicamp, uh, still recovering from that knee. And that has prompted some folks, including uh, our loyal listener, Jim, uh, one of uh, many everydayers here on the podcast, you know, to push forth uh, conspiracy theories about, you know, Kyle Pitts' knee injury being potentially more serious than it has been previously indicated. And I'm sure Jim is not alone on that. But uh, we, we talked about that. And, you know, time will tell on that is basically what I'll say. I'm, I am not panicking about Kyle Pitts' knee issues, right? I just assume and maybe, you know, at what they say about making assumptions. But, like, I'm assuming that the Falcons are just being extra cautious because Kyle Pitts is going to be such a critical part of their offense moving forward. And they don't want necessarily want him out there, you know, risking, you know, injuries or whatever the case may be. We know Arthur Smith historically has been very cautious when it comes to injuries evidenced by his refusal to play pretty much anybody that was going to make the team in the preseason his first summer uh, in Atlanta. But basically, as far as Kyle Pitts's knee is concerned, right, we'll get our answers in late July when, when training camp opens up and if he's healthy, ready to go. You know, it was much ado about nothing, Jim. Uh, and if he isn't, then, you know, we we can call you a prophet, Jim. And, and and then that will be the time to worry about it, because obviously the less Kyle Pitts practices, the less time he has to build that rapport with Desmond Ritter. So 
we'll see how that all plays out. I'm very optimistic that Ritter and Pitts will get on the same page when the time comes. They just need reps together. It's just, you know, is that time going to come in late July, August, or potentially September? So speaking of September, right, when we get to the season, let's talk about the biggest storyline of the season. And basically that is going to be, will Kyle Pitts have the type of season where we no longer complain and whine about Kyle Pitts not having the type of season that we want him to have? And we'll break that down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you to take your first swing at betting on Major League Baseball at FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. You just bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting on everything from money line to the over the under to who you think is going to hit that first home run, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than with FanDuel America's number one sports book. So sign up today by visiting FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. So what do I mean when I say people need to stop complaining and whining about Kyle Pitts, right? It's mostly because there's so much negativity surrounding Kyle Pitts for various reasons, right? Whether that's related to his lack of production, his usage in the offense, and the fact that he was drafted over other players that the Falcons could have had at the top of that 2021 draft. And I just want to say, you know, if Kyle Pitts, if if you're an everydayer out there, which I, I doubt you are, uh, but if you are listening to this episode, I do appreciate you, Kyle Pitts. I know you don't hear enough of those affirmations in your life from a you know, large swath of football fans and Falcon fans, but I do absolutely appreciate you. And I, I think there are many people out there that do. And if you can join me, you know, and, and say, I appreciate you, Kyle Pitts. And if you're working or randomly in a random place and someone, you know, you're walking in Target and someone hears you say, I appreciate Kyle Pitts and, you know, and they give you that weird look, just know that it was well worth it so that Kyle Pitts knows uh, that you are out there. But you know, my hope is that this season we can nip this negativity in the bud, right? And a lot of this negativity comes from the expectations surrounding Kyle Pitts, right? It's due to where he was drafted, who drafted him, you know, when he was drafted, all that stuff, like, right? The fact that he was the highest drafted tight end ever, right, has led to certain expectations, even though tight end is a position that we know historically is not one that necessarily is well known to hitting the ground running immediately in the NFL. It takes a couple of years for guys to kind of, get their speed, although Kyle Pitts got off to as good a start as any tight end we've seen in NFL history. Uh, but it, that didn't erase any of those concerns to a lot of folks. The fact that the Falcons took him, right? And you took him in year one of a new regime. And so therefore the expectations is that he's the foundational piece that the entire offense is going to be built around. And so that has led to raised expectations and not to mention, you know, the potential, that the Falcons could have gone in a different direction, whether that was taking a quarterback, whether it's taking an, another pass catcher. And it didn't help that, you know, the Falcons moved on from Matt Ryan a year after taking Kyle Pitts. The Falcons moved on from Julio Jones six weeks after taking Kyle Pitts. And that's only placed even greater expectations, particularly the Julio stuff, where the expectation is that Kyle Pitts is going to basically fill the shoes of Julio Jones, which I don't think is fair expectations, right? Because, in my opinion, and I, I know I'm biased on this, but I'm sure many of you guys also are biases. I think Julio Jones is one of the three to five best receivers of all time. 
And so I don't think it's fair to just place those expectations on everybody uh, and anybody, even as a player as talented as Kyle Pitts is. But, you know, I think that's hurt Kyle Pitts in, in, in terms of, you know, a lot of fan expectations to basically pick up exactly where Julio Jones kind of left off here in Atlanta, which, again, I don't know if it's fair. But when it comes to my expectations with Kyle Pitts, I have little to no concerns about Kyle Pitts and his long-term value here in Atlanta. You know, the biggest concern for me with Kyle Pitts is going to be his ability to stay healthy. We've already had issues with that so far in a short career. Hopefully those issues are a thing of the past and won't affect him moving forward, but we'll sort of have to see about that. But, you know, outside of that, I, I'm very confident Kyle Pitts is going to be a very good player in this league for a long time. And I think has the potential to be a Hall of Fame caliber player. Uh, and whether he gets there remains to be seen. And, and that's not necessarily me trying to push those expectations on him, but it's just like, I know he has that type of ability and potential, right? You know, my eye level comp for him was Jimmy Graham, who was a multi pro bowl type of tight end that I'm sure there are certainly people in, in the state of Louisiana that probably think that he's deserving of being a hall of fame caliber tight end. And that's not even to me, the potential, uh, the full potential of Kyle Pitts in terms of what he can be, uh, in this league and so we'll see what what he is and again it's if he doesn't get there then it's, it's fine it's not a big deal right again he's he's going to be a good nfl player but he doesn't necessarily have to be a hall of fame player in order to justify whatever people need him to justify but it would be nice all that being said if kyle pitts can kind of turn into that dynamic fearsome super weapon of a playmaker in the same way that you know julio jones was for this team for for several years if only for the reason to have people now get off of Kyle Pitts back uh right because all the things that he isn't as opposed to just appreciating all the things that he is uh but again he, he doesn't have to be Julio but it would be nice right it certainly would be nice and in part one of the reasons why it would be nice is because it would certainly help this football team uh you know not only in the short term but obviously in the long term because I listened to a recent episode of the Athletic Football Show with Robert Mays and Nate Tyson. They're talking about the sort of the commonalities among Super Bowl teams over the last decade or so. And in recent years, they're talking about how, you know, how it's kind of necessary to have that elite pass catching weapon in order to have an elite pass passing game. Right. And you look at some of the recent Super they talked about the Falcons in that game, obviously having a player like Julio Jones talking about the Rams with Cooper Cup, obviously the Bengals receivers. Uh, the Eagles had AJ Brown, you know, Kansas city has Travis Kelsey, all that and more. So, you know, the hope is that Kyle Pitts can be that type of player right now. Obviously I don't have, you know, let's make it clear. I don't have these sort of expectations that the Falcons should be a Super Bowl team in 2023. Right. My philosophy is, you know, that's hopefully further down the line, but my, you know, let's make the playoffs first. And then I'll worry about the, you know, what do we need to do to, in order to win a Super Bowl? Like just get, just play a game in January and then I'll worry about the Super Bowl at that point in time. But it would be nice, right? That if anybody on this roster, um, you know, has the ability to be that sort of elite super weapon of a, of a target in the passing game, I, I think most people would bet that Kyle Pitts has the best odds of being that type of playmaker, right? So that's part of the reason why there are so high expectations on Kyle Pitts, right? And so for obvious reasons, I'm hoping, I'm hoping one day we will be talking about Kyle Pitts in that way. But again, I'm not going to hold it against him if he isn't that type of player, right? So, you know, the issue with Kyle Pitts, 
you know, I don't have a whole lot to add <laughs> about Kyle Pitts. We'll just sort of see what happens this year. But, you know, the issues surrounding Kyle Pitts, we'll, we'll have to sort of see what happens this year and then next year because at that point in time, the Falcons will probably have to make major financial decisions uh, about Kyle Pitts and his future here in Atlanta or potentially elsewhere. Uh, so I'm hoping that when the time comes for those decisions to be made in, in a year or two, right, that it will be a very easy decision for the Atlanta Falcons because of how good Kyle Pitts has been the last couple of seasons, starting with him, you know, eliminating all concerns about his performance moving forward in this 2023 season. So hopefully he he and, and Desmond Ritter and this team can get off to a, a, a good start this upcoming season. And these issues that surround Kyle Pitts are a thing of the past. So that's what we'll wrap up the Kyle Pitts discussion and we'll wrap up today's episode talking about the rest of the Falcons tight ends, including how big an impact Janu Smith will have this season. Is he set for a rebound year or is there a chance that we might be left a little disappointed as we were a year ago with Anthony Ferkser and his contributions? So we'll break all of that down as we continue and wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. But again, I want to give a shout out to my everydayers out there that check out this episode each and every day. Follow in their footsteps by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's also a great time to check out the Locked on Hawks podcast, part of the Locked on Sports Atlanta podcast family. And of course, you know, the Hawks are making trades. They're going to, they've just recently drafted players. They're going to be signing free agents in only a couple of days. So get the scoop on all things Atlanta Hawks on the Locked on Hawks podcast, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. So let's wrap up today's episode asking some questions about various other tight ends uh, that aren't Kyle Pitts. And let's start with John o. Smith, right? And the question with John o. Smith is how big an impact is John o. Smith going to have this season, right? We we all know about John o. Smith's versatility and his athleticism. We, we've talked before about how John o. Smith was a very productive tight end in the red zone when he was in Tennessee uh, playing under Arthur Smith there. We didn't, you know, we also noted that John Smith wasn't the most reliable third down option in terms of his production in Tennessee. And, you know, the conclusion I've reached is a lot of that is owed to John Smith is not necessarily the greatest and most refined route runner, right? That was something that Tyler Rowland of Locked on Titans said, talking about John Smith when he came on the podcast earlier this offseason after the Falcons made that trade. And I think, you know, that seems a little counterintuitive because it's like, well, if he's so good in third downs or if he's so good in the red zone, why isn't he good on third downs? Uh, and vice versa. Um, and I think, you know, that that route running precision matters a little bit more in third downs because, you know, typically teams are manning you up. And so you you need to be able to, to win in those situations. And watching, you know, some of the film uh, of the Titans, you know, and John Smith's touchdowns, a lot of it was kind of the same sort of schemed up stuff. You know, the misdirection plays, the play action stuff that we saw at the end of last season with Michael Pruitt, right? When Michael Pruitt wound up, you know, scoring what, what, four touchdowns in the second half of the season. And it was a lot of scheme stuff for him. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons why John Smith wound up being a very reliable uh, red zone threat as opposed to a third down threat. And so we'll see if that continues here in Atlanta. But we're expecting to see quite a bit of John Smith this season because we expect the Falcons to feature a lot of two tight end sets. This year with both John o. Smith and Kyle Pitts on the field, we'll probably also see a lot of three tight end sets with Parker Hesse on the field as well. Right. And, you know, there'll be two tight end sets with, you know, Pitts and Hesse and, and Smith and Hesse as well. Uh, but 
you know, the, the beauty of Jonu Smith is he can line up in a lot of places, right? We've seen him as a fullback. We've seen him get carries as a running back, right? Uh, not only just being an inline tight end in a slot receiver and lined up out wide. So he brings a lot of versatility. But the question I have with Jonu Smith is related to what we got last year from Anthony Ferkser, because I'm sure if you go back and listen to last year's training camp preview when we were breaking down tight end position. I was saying many of the same things I've said over the last, you know, couple of minutes about John o. Smith, about Anthony Ferkser. And we kind of saw Ferkser do next to nothing this last season in Atlanta. And so part of me wonders, like, are we, am I making too many assumptions, right? Does the fact that John o. Smith kind of struggled in New England the last two years signal that he may be more of a Ferkser and underwhelmed here or should we just simply assume, again, you know what they say about making assumptions, but should we assume that simply because Arthur Smith has that experience knowing how to use him, he'll have a sort of rebound season and wash that bad taste out of the collective mouths of everybody who had to watch him in New England the last couple of years. So that to me is a legit question. I, I think clearly John o. Smith, we've seen him be very productive in an Arthur Smith offense and hopefully we'll continue to see him very productive in an Arthur Smith offense. But I think it is a fair question to be raised because we also saw Anthony Ferkser productive in an Arthur Smith offense and then not be productive in an Arthur Smith offense. So we'll see how that all goes. But, you know, we'll move on to Parker Hesse, the roster cornerstone, right? Because of how valuable a blocker he is, as well as having similar versatility as Jonu Smith to line up in a variety of places. We already talked about Parker Hesse maybe being a little bit better of a fit for the type of fullback that the Falcons would prefer to use someone that can not only line up in the backfield and be that sort of lead blocker, but also move as an H back or an inline tight end. Right. Uh, and so we'll see how the Falcons utilize Hesse in that way, but we will see a lot of Parker Hesse this year. He's, he's just valuable as a blocker. And as I said, like he's the versatile blocking version of John Smith. John Smith is the versatile pass catcher. Parker Hesse is the versatile blocker. And if we could, you know, build a contraption where we could combine their genetic material or whatever and turn them into one super tight end, it would be potentially the greatest tight end of all time. It's probably Brock Bowers, right? And that's probably <laughs> who that player is. But um, anyway, uh, so we should see plenty of Parker Hesse this year, three tight end sets. So it was 13 personnel. And I love the versatility that the Falcons will have at a three tight end set because of Hesse's ability to line up in multiple places, Kyle Pitts' ability to be not only an inline guy and a slot receiver or an outside guy, but, of course, John o. Smith's versatility. He can line up in the backfield. So the Falcons can be very creative by deploying 13 personnel, that three tight end sets, and then kind of motion into a different formation uh, that mimics some of their other formations, and that's all part of this whole positionless football stuff. And so while uh, you know I'm being facetious, in previous episodes, when I've called Parker Hesse a roster cornerstone, he kind of low-key is a, a key ingredient of this offense, even if he isn't necessarily like, you know, one of the, you know, on the Grady Jarrett level or A.J. Terrell level as sort of these, you know, cornerstone pieces on the on the roster. But um, another blocker that I'm very curious to see how he performs this summer is John Fitzpatrick, right? He missed all of his rookie season as a six-round pick out of Georgia. Last year, recovering from you know, the foot injuries that he dealt with at, at Georgia. Uh, and so now he really gets an opportunity to show what he is, hopefully now that he's fully healthy, 
And so what exactly do we get out of John Fitzpatrick this year? I don't know, right? Now, the thing I noted watching uh, Fitzpatrick's film at Georgia was I thought he was a little bit better of a blocker in space than he was as a true inline tight end. But given his size at 6'7", 260 plus pounds, clearly he has the size to be a very effective inline blocker. And so I'm very curious to see what Fitzpatrick does as a blocker moving forward. And I think the beautiful thing is because of Parker Hesse's versatility, if Fitzpatrick is better as a inline blocker, then you have no problem. Okay, well, we'll make Parker Hesse kind of our H-back fullback type. And if Fitzpatrick is better in that fullback H-back sort of role, then of course, Parker Hesse's fine as an inline tight end. So it, it does kind of work in, in both guys' favors because you, you kind of, you know, Hesse can do whatever we, we need him to do. And we just got to figure out what exactly is John Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, best at. So I'll be curious to see what type of role he can carve out this year, primarily as a blocker. My expectation is he'll make the team, right? Um, he, he's not necessarily a lock by any means after missing last season. But, you know, if he does make the team as that fourth tight end, you know, there's a good chance that we may see him inactive each and every week uh, this upcoming season. Because unless he can show like he's a really valuable blocker. All right. And again, talking about the tight end position, taking some time to develop and all that stuff. You know, I'm not expecting John Fitzpatrick to come in as a fully formed entity right now in 2023. But, you know, 2024, maybe we'll see. But. You know, my expectation is he'll probably be inactive most weeks unless there are injuries and whatnot. So uh, we'll, we'll just sort of see him as a, kind of a stash sort of player that can be this blocking piece for the future and development there. Uh, you know, we'll round out today's episode talking about Felipe Frank. Sorry to Tucker Fisk. Don't really have strong takes about him. He's another blocker type. Given the presence of Hesse and Fitzpatrick, don't necessarily think he's a necessary uh, component of the roster, but we'll see what he can do. He d- certainly adds some size and physicality, but let's talk about Felipe Franks, right? And, you know, Felipe Franks gets a lot of hate from Falcon fans, right? And I, I, I probably would consider myself a Felipe Franks defender, you know, and some people would say you're just being, you know, that contrarian self that you always are, Aaron. And I'm just like, no, I just think I'm being a, a completely rational person and everybody else that hates on Felipe Franks is being completely irrational. It's always weird to me which players get this, what I consider, again, obviously this is all subjective, kind of irrational hatred from the fans. Like in 2014, it was Corey Bierman. In 2018, it was Jordan Richards. In 2022, it was Felipe Franks. Clearly there's like some midterm election angst or something that's going on through the Falcon fan base that seems to, uh, focus <laughs> their hatred towards certain players. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but like, it's not that I'm like pro Felipe Franks, but like I get why the vision that Arthur Smith has like Felipe Franks, similar to John Smith is like a big athlete. He's six, six, you know, runs a four, six, all these various things was a very athletic quarterback uh, at the collegiate level. And so developing that and seeing what you can get out of that player and hoping that you can kind of get, you know, turn him into a poor man's John U. Smith down the road to me makes sense. That's what I mean where I say I get the vision right now. I also understand, unlike I think maybe other people that that's going to take time. That's a project. That's a long-term project. And, you know, like I've heard other people say in the past, like, Oh, well, you know, he's a project, but that doesn't deserve a roster spot. Put that guy in the practice squad or something. And it's like, okay, sure. But like, you know, you're not really mad that Felipe Franks was on the roster. Are you like the 53rd guy in the roster? Because it's not like you're sitting here going like, oh, man, I can't believe we let Leroy Watson go 
and he didn't make the roster so we could keep Felipe. You know, like there's there's no like please tell me the player that we wound up cutting so that we could keep Felipe Franks over the last two seasons that's that's really bothering you that that we let that guy go. Please let me know about that. So for me, like it's going to be a project. We'll see if it works for the Falcons, but I get it, right? Like that's why, like I sit here not as a Felipe Franks hater and be like, okay, let's see if it works. If it does, great. If it doesn't, you know, no sweat. Like, oh my God, you, you, you kept the roster spot available for somebody, you know, a developmental part. Okay, you know. So I'm very curious to see what Felipe Franks does this year now that he's had a full year of playing tight end. Right. And I'm curious to see what his progress, his development is so far. But again, I'm not expecting it all to work out completely overnight. So we'll see what happens with Felipe Franks this summer if he continues to be that lightning rod of criticism. Just so much negativity with the Falcons side in position, you know, whether it's Kyle Pitts or, you know, being underwhelming or or Felipe Franks just, you know, taking up too much oxygen on on this planet Earth, you know. Just so much negativity. So let's let's try to be a little bit more positive in regard to the time. There's so much stuff to love about this position group, and hopefully they will deliver on that love and be worthy of your love uh, by the time we get to years in. So I'm looking forward to that. But, guys, that's going to do it for us here on today's Locked on Falcons. Continue to make us your first listen each and every day. Tomorrow we'll be wrapping up the offense by breaking down the offensive line and talking about whether or not this unit can pick up where they left off last year where they were pretty good, right? Are they a top 10 type of offensive line? We've we've come a long way from where we were a year ago talking about the offensive line. So we'll break that down on tomorrow's episode. So continue to make us your first listen, guys. Really appreciate it. Until then.